RC Top 3, a weekly podcast of the top three stories from Regnum Christi. Wheat by Kathleen Nichols. In May, Galilee looks like a giant quilt of vibrant green and golden yellow squares with fields ready for the early summer wheat harvest. Hiking these hills in April, I picked off heads of waist-high young wheat nibbling on the kernels inside, imitating the apostles, who Matthew describes picking heads of grain and eating them as they walk through a field on the Sabbath. Probing for seed, I mangled several spikes of what I assumed were wheat, but found nothing. These impostors grew alongside the wheat stalks and were almost identical to them. Now at harvest time, these weeds were clearly distinguishable from mature wheat, tall, straight, and light green, while the now golden wheat stalks bent over humbly, heavy with grain. I wondered aloud to myself if Jesus told the parable about the weeds and the wheat in May around the time of Pentecost. Shavuot marks the wheat harvest in the Holy Land and also commemorates the giving of the Torah on Mount Sinai. Instructions were given not only for building the ark to hold tablets of the law, but also for showbread, to be made of fine wheat flour and placed perpetually in the Lord's presence. After receiving the covenant, Moses and the elders broke bread with God, just as the apostles did with Jesus at the Last Supper, where he pronounced many covenantal words. Remain in me as I remain in you. I call you friends because I have told you everything I have heard from my Father. Wheat seems to speak to the intimacy of our covenant with God. The covenant of God with his people is like a marriage, intimate and binding. A few days ago, we hiked a trail at a place with an ancient spring called Batir, A lively agricultural community has lived there for centuries thanks to this water. As I let the cold liquid refresh my hands after the walk, my mind and heart recalled that wells were places where many marriages were born. Abraham met Rebekah at a well. Jacob met Rachel. Moses met Zipporah. Looking out over the crops below from the edge of the Batir spring, I recalled how Jesus sat by Jacob's well and raised his eyes, saying, I tell you, look up and see the fields ripe for the harvest. Jesus was driven there by a deep desire to meet the Samaritan woman, to enliven the covenant within her. Perhaps these words of the Song of Songs were his prayer as he waited for her to draw water in his longing for her transformation. Turn, turn, O Shulamite, turn, turn, that we may gaze upon you. Their intimate encounter burned away the weeds in her soul, so they rejoiced together at the beauty of the golden mature fruit within. Being in his presence made her a living witness of the Lord's gifts and love for his people, much like the showbread. The showbread was displayed during the Shavuot pilgrimage to remind people how beloved they are by God. I imagine the entire Samaritan village gazing upon this woman as she rushed into town with renewed ebullience after being in the presence of the Messiah. I closed my eyes visualizing Jesus' contented face, describing his bride with the happiness typical of a harvest festival when the sheaves have been gathered in using the words of the song, while the disciples urged him to eat. Your belly, a mound of wheat, encircled with lilies. Fruitfulness, life, beauty, and joy. It is no wonder that Jesus exclaims, I tell you, look up and see the fields ripe for the harvest. The reaper is already receiving his payment and gathering crops for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper can rejoice together. Let us enter into the presence of the Lord through covenantal prayer, 
allowing him to gaze upon us. Invite him to raise our eyes above the weeds to the blessings within and around us, rejoicing with him. The Holy Cross Weekly Message for September 14th, 2021 Dear Fellow Digital Pilgrim, Pax Christi The primary symbol for our Catholic faith is the crucifix. Notice that I say crucifix and not just cross. Catholics use crucifixes. The crucifix reminds us of the central revelation of God's love for us, which was the engine behind the redemption worked by Christ through his sacrifice of Calvary. But that's not all. The crucifix, as opposed to just the cross, reminds us that we never have to suffer alone. Jesus is with us in the crosses that come to us throughout our life's journey. Our crosses never have to be raw. They can be golden opportunities for deepening our communion, our friendship with Jesus, if only we unite them to His cross. All of this is on my heart, as today is the annual liturgical feast of the triumph of the cross. As followers of a Lord who was crucified and who rose from the dead, we celebrate the cross. Somehow, all the trials and sorrows of this life, when we learn to live them with faith, become meaningful and fruitful. This truth is also communicated by the liturgical feast that occurs on the day right after the triumph of the cross, the memorial of Our Lady of Sorrows, in which we honor the Blessed Virgin Mary, who stood firm at the foot of the cross out of love for the Lord. Both of these hope-filled and life-giving mysteries, Christ's own crucifixion and Mary's sorrowful accompaniment of her Son on Calvary, are developed, explained, and presented in two of our retreat guides, The Colors of the Cross and A Mother's Tears. As the fall gets into full swing, I cordially and energetically invite you to revisit those retreat guides, available as always in PDF, audio, or video form. Make use of them for yourself and for your loved ones in this autumnal season of transition to help you pray through these deep mysteries through which God reveals to us His plan for our lives and the meaning behind our sufferings. We need to go deep into these mysteries to pray through them in order for our faith to mature and so that we can help comfort those whose faith is new or even those who as of yet have no faith. And in the meantime, you can keep counting on our prayers for you every day as we keep striving to evangelize the digital continent. Thank you for your support and your prayers, and please let us know how we can serve you better. Peace in Him. Father John Bartunek, L.C. Lessons from the Workshop of St. Joseph by Father Daniel Brandenburg, L.C. Part 10. Predictions. Continued. Context of the Predictions Let's return to Luke's Gospel to explore more of the context and just how Joseph processed their strange encounter in the temple. This can drive home lessons applicable to our own circumstances. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, Every male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Several elements are nestled within this text that could be lost on the modern reader. The time for purification indicated 40 days after the birth of a boy 
or 80 days after the birth of a girl, as dictated in the book of Leviticus, chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. As well, the purification is not of Jesus, but of his mother, Mary. Jesus was presented in the sanctuary, something not prescribed by the law, but that displayed the religiosity of Joseph and Mary. The offering indicated by Luke is the one prescribed for parents who cannot afford a lamb. So by reading between the lines, we learn that, one, Joseph and Mary were observant of Jewish law and even exceeded it. Two, they made the journey from Bethlehem to Jerusalem for these actions. And three, they were not well off enough to offer a lamb. This makes that holy family seem so much more approachable. Like so many Catholic families today, they struggle to make ends meet, go on long road trips, are we there yet, and do their best to live out their religious convictions in the midst of a smugly condescending world. In this context, the Holy Family arrives among the crowds of other observant parents flocking into the temple. They were just one more in the long queues, but someone has been waiting for them a long time. Luke's Gospel narrates that, Now there was a man in Jerusalem, whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And inspired by the Spirit, he came into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace according to your word. How could Simeon pick out Jesus from the crowds of parents and children? How did he know what day to be there? How could he presume to see the fulfillment of the prophecies in his own lifetime? All these questions the gospel answers simply with the Holy Spirit. Wouldn't we like to have clarity like Simeon's in our lives? To have deep convictions, to know the right time, to be in the right place at the right time, to say the right thing? And yet, is this not also attainable for us today? Did not Jesus send us this gift, this advocate? Is the Holy Spirit not in every repentant sinner who is a baptized Christian? Does he not teach us all things and empower us for all things? The Virgin Mary, who has been called both spouse and temple of the Holy Spirit, must have immediately recognized in Simeon a kindred soul. This man was led by the Holy Spirit, just as she had been. Yet Joseph, too, establishes a quick rapport with Simeon, because proximity to Mary had taught him what it was like to live in the presence of someone utterly attuned to God's love and the nudging of his spirit. Herein lies a lesson from St. Joseph. Recognize God's presence in others, and don't force God to send you direct communication. Joseph would get his fair share of angelic dreams and direct guidance later, but he also has the humility now to learn from those around him who are attuned to the Holy Spirit. Simeon's lifelong dream is realized. The sober words echoed in Scripture convey poorly the exuberance he must have felt and expressed. Not unlike the joy of a parent holding their newborn child, or the nuptial embrace of newlyweds, or the first mass of a baby priest. The culmination of his life's dreams, his mission. He had not been deluded. It was all worth it. The Lord is faithful to his promises. Joseph and Mary taste just a bit of Simeon's delight, and what a scene they must have caused in the temple. Bystanders stood gawking, not knowing what to make of the commotion.
yet at least one other bystander did take note and add to the hubbub. There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age, having lived with her husband seven years from her virginity, and as a widow till she was eighty-four. She did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer day and night. And coming up at that very hour, she gave thanks to God, and spoke of him to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Joseph's Reactions to the Predictions By this point, Joseph's head must have been spinning. With Simeon singling them out, uttering prophecies, and making a fuss over Jesus, and then Anna adding her attentions, they were making quite a scene. For a man who speaks not once in the Gospels, all this attention must have been uncomfortable. He probably wanted to melt into the paving stones and hide from the curious looks of the surrounding crowd. And on top of that natural inclination, he was beginning to note the danger implicit in the situation. He already had his concerns about Herod's henchmen, and this situation was doing nothing to help them stay low-key. Joseph's mind was also racing with conflicting emotions. Wonder over the attention and prophecies, admiration of the Holy Spirit's action in Simeon and his flawless wife, awe at being caught up in this mystery of his foster son, and a growing trepidation at the dangers they were incurring with the extra attention, and fear about whether he was up to the challenge that this all entailed. The step of faith Joseph had taken to marry Mary was significant, but now it seems to him that this whole thing is just snowballing. Shepherds with angelic visitation, wise men from the east, deadly jealousy from Herod, and now old folks prophesying about his foster son things that are just too big to wrap his mind around. This was going too big, too fast. His head was spinning, and his sense of inadequacy for the task was growing. How could he possibly prepare for such predictions? How could he measure up to this ever-intensifying mission that was growing more complex by the day? Had God made some mistake by involving him? In his growing unease, Joseph likely recalled Abraham's test of faith in Genesis 22, where God asks him to take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and offer him. Abraham's confusion and reticence as he climbed the mountain would have intensified with Isaac's query about the offering, but Abraham simply replies, God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. Every fiber of Abraham's being rebelled, yet he chose to obey the divine command that made no sense until the divine messenger stayed his hand, saying, Now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son. Joseph is beginning to get an inkling that his own foster son is the completion of that prophecy that God himself will provide. What God had asked of man as a test but did not complete, he fulfills in his divine son, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. God was indeed providing the lamb for the sacrifice. Engulfed in Simeon and Anna's predictions in the temple, Joseph is swept up into this mystery of salvation history unfolding before his very eyes. What a feeling of apprehension! Joseph had to face the fear of his own inadequacy. He had to accept that he would not be in control. He had to realize that the best preparation for this mission was docility to the action of the Holy Spirit. The encounter with Simeon, Anna, and Mary in the temple was teaching him that he did not need to know or control it all, 
but simply to remain open to the Holy Spirit, who would teach him in that very hour what he ought to say and do. That docility transforms fear into courage. If Abraham, by his act of obedience and faith, is the model of all who believe, Joseph is even more an eminent model for us. As the Litany of St. Joseph notes, he is the light of patriarchs, most obedient, and protector of the Holy Church. Joseph reminds us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Like every person overwhelmed by life and the responsibility of it all, Joseph had to learn to let go and trust. Stopping the train of life until we have it all figured out and under control is not an option. This is the lesson St. Joseph wants to teach us from his workshop. We don't have to have it all under control. We just need to trust in God and be obedient to the Holy Spirit. For more resources, visit www.regnumchristi.org or download the Regnum Christi English app today.